Hey, hi. Thanks for listening. This episode, there's no guest. It's just me picking parts of my brain, trying to develop a pattern of how to do this alone. I don't want to do it alone often, but I know there's going to be a lot of times it's going to have to be done. In between editing, trying to schedule a committed time to meet with people, that's easier said than done in this line of work. I've got a few backlogged. Anyway, enjoy listening to an illiterate dumbass try to captivate you with words that fall out of his mouth in no particular order. This is Industry Substandards with Billy Abston. Line call, 86 feelings. Yes, sir! Fired up. Yes, sir! sort of stood there silently for a second, kind of sharing this moment of perfect misery. It's an odd concept trying to wrap your brain around the idea of praise. When your self-esteem is at the bottom of the ocean and you constantly hear people give you compliments on something, it takes a little while for you to grasp it. Oh, it's a lot like that family member that, you know, has always made some questioning decisions, but you know their heart's in the same place, so you just tolerate it. I can't really relate it to much else. The only other thing I've done career-wise for any length of time was concrete. And I was good at that for the same reason I initially became good at kitchen work. I was strong-willed and would do anything you asked me to. My don't quit. The irony being that that is also what has ruined a lot of things for me, not quitting. It's a good thing when it's something that projects you into a positive outcome. But when it's damaging, it's not a good thing. At the end of the day, the industry gave me the structure to build a foundation for a life that was enviable. It's also isolated me from normal components in life. I'm 34 years old. I'm light years away from any functioning relationship, and I have no children. I've lived in about 20 cities, and because of that, you develop a feeling that there is no home. Kitchen. That feels like home. It was kind of laughable. You know, I'd tell people I was a cook and you were looked down upon. It didn't spark interest from anyone saying that you were a kitchen worker. Some point, social media kind of highlighted chefs being rock stars. And then everything changed. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And a cheesecake that'll surely make you want to take your pants off. <laughs> Consistency is something I've chased for a long time. And the only thing consistent has been my career. It's really the only thing I've had control of. I guess that's why I obsess over it so much. Every other aspect of my life has been a question. Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? What are they going to think about me? I wonder what she meant when she said that. With anything that releases that much dopamine in your brain, the spark subsides. But with this, it really hasn't ever. Maybe that's why I've stuck with it for so long. I crave the chaos. The American dream of the white picket fence and the kids, maybe that's not meant for a guy like me. That seems insane to me. 
Somebody a lot smarter than me one time said it's real lonely at the top. I can tell you that it's pretty lonely at the bottom, too. So, you just got to stick with what you know. What the hell do I know? I know how to orchestrate a bunch of misfits to make a beautiful product. It's endearing to see a miserable, self-loathing ogre come to life. Maybe that's why I've gained so much respect with anybody that's been in a kitchen with me. I would like to say that I'm a pretty laid-back guy. I don't have a control complex. I'm real good at just letting shit go. So why inside stainless steel walls is that not the case? Recuration is something that's become obsolete. A decade of your life working seven days a week, 18-hour days, you're either chasing some substance to give you that adrenaline that you crave, or you're asleep. Not really much in between. I'm either 100 miles an hour, or I'm dead neutral. It's kind of become a trending topic that people in the industry are all mentally ill, and I hope that never becomes like an old trope. You would have to be. To make any real money and call this career, you absolutely have to be mentally ill. The great ones learn how to use that as motivation and make it work for them. I've always said that comedy, comedians, industry workers, and musicians, there's a common ground in there somewhere. We all want to be the center of attention. We all create art. When you're done with the duties for the day, good fucking luck trying to find anything that compares. I hate to group that all as a whole because I know plenty of chefs out there they are sober. And to me, that's a special breed of psycho. And I don't want it to be thought either that I'm some junkie running around like a madman, because that's not the case either. I have a lot more control over that than I used to. But I also am comfortable in saying that the inside of my brain's a pretty dark place, so... I don't mind shutting that voice down a little bit once in a while. You know, I could think of a time in my life at one point that I was, um, I was an executive chef. I was running my own catering company on the side. I had part-time gigs on nights and weekends, cooking at bars. And any moment of freedom that I had left was delve into old recipe books, trying to perfect my craft. And at some point I started to realize that people were coming to me, looking for answers that I didn't realize I had. It wasn't easy for me to deal with. It's this thing they call imposter syndrome. This is all a front. Why would you ask me? And I'll tell you, you know, I didn't get good because I just jumped in and was naturally gifted at this. I failed at everything that I did for 10 years. At some point, your sourdough rises correctly. Your onions caramelize perfectly start to cultivate plates that people will tell you I don't want to eat it it's too pretty I don't want to eat this it used to drive me crazy to see me put a plate of food out and watch these bimbos stand on their chair and spend 25 minutes taking pictures for Instagram but that's just the cold dead me inside talking I had produced something that put them in a place that they wanted to share it as much as it makes my stomach turn to say it 
I was that good. I am that good. As you advance, it becomes less and less about the aesthetics. I'm pretty far deep into the administrative side of things anymore. And that's just the natural progression of things. Something that'll keep your interest. I'll tell you about the time that I got a Grand Theft Auto for stealing my own vehicle. I'm a kitchen manager at the time. So it's, it, it's all coincided because I want, I want people to realize that... <clears throat> I don't know what I want them to realize. <laughs> I'm a nutcase. Maybe that's what I want people to realize. Um, so I had this truck. I loved this thing. It was an old square body Ford beat up. Black and copper. When I say copper, I mean rust. But uh, the man that I had bought it off of, like, retweaked the motor, used it as an old wood haul. It was gnarly. And the girls, the girl that I was dating at the time, her dad was a fucking brilliant mechanic. So he put straight, straight pipes on it for me. It sounded mean. I loved this thing. There was just a. a a marksman square on the back of this thing for cops. Every time I drove this thing, I got fucking a ticket or pulled over or whatever. So, long story short, uh, I have to go to jail for a while. I had some DUIs that I neglected. And, uh, sold this truck to a guy that I was working for. And when I get out of jail... I'm expecting some payments. Uh, we agreed on like three thousand for what, what he was going to pay me, and uh, payments. I was going to let him do payments. It was all good. Now I needed the money pretty bad at the time, anyway. But I also really was kind of sore about not having this truck. I loved this thing. And a buddy of mine calls me and he says, "Hey, man." truck sitting in the parking lot over here at the grocery store, and the keys are in the ignition. Now, I had maybe received one payment, 500 bucks, I still had $2,500 coming to me from this truck. And I'm thinking, I'll repo it. It's my truck. Doesn't really work that way. So I'm out in Romney, hanging out with a girl. And we're having some drinks, talking. I tell her I gotta go, I'm gonna go get this truck. To everyone, that wouldn't be exciting. To her, it was. Hi, Maggie. <laughs> um, she jumps on the back of a moped. <laughs> I'm cruising a moped at the time. Fresh out of jail, no money. That's why I'm hunting down payment for this truck to begin with. Now before I get locked up, I had given my mom some money and she found this moped and bought it for me. So I get out of jail, that's my transportation. It is what it is. The girl jumps on the back. We haul from Romney to Lafayette. It's a good 25 miles on a 50cc moped. Real funny thinking about it now. It's a little ridiculous. 
meet up with my buddy that's got the key. We go get the truck. I try to start it up, and it doesn't start. I guess this guy had caught wind about it and took the battery out. At the time, that's all I think, that the battery is out. So on episode one, you guys got to hear a little bit from my buddy Tommy Deck. Well, at the time, he's married, and he has a Dodge Dakota that he's not using. So I go get the battery out of this Dodge Dakota, throw it in this truck, it fires up, we take off. I throw this moped that I had in the back of the truck. I win for the evening. I think I go sit at a round table with some buddies and have some drinks. We celebrate my small victory. Back to Romney, drop her off. And Park the truck at my mom's house and crash for the evening. I wake up to uh, what sounds like a SWAT team beating down my mother's front door. <laughs> I'm in only a pair of briefs, nothing else. Eight cops, a sheriff, a, a armored van, the whole works drag me out of this fucking house. I'm on the front lawn, they got me face down, cuffs on my back. It's a mess. My poor neighbors have seen all this go on. They uh, interrogate me about this vehicle. My story doesn't change from then till now. It's my truck. I didn't do anything wrong. This is my vehicle. My name's on the back of the title is the lien holder. I'm just taking back what's rightfully mine. Was smart enough to have a contract wrote up to where we agreed to payments and I had a receipt for the first payment. Dad didn't teach me a whole lot in life, but when it came to buying and selling shit, he kind of drilled that into my brain. You always had to have documentation. So they go in, I take the plate off the back of the truck because that didn't belong to me, and at the time, that's what I thought was going to get me in trouble. So they need the plate for the vehicle. And I'm saying, I can go inside and get it. The dog that's in there is not going to be okay with you guys. I need to go inside. Grab the plate, and on the way out, I run into the laundry room and grab a, oh, a yellow Shaquille O'Neal Lakers jersey, and I'm wearing a pair of bright pink briefs. One of the cops looking in the window sees me doing that and thinks I'm pulling some funky shit, comes inside, the dog goes crazy. We have a scuffle because I see him grab for his gun, and I'm screaming, you shoot that dog, we're going to have a lot more problems than this right now. So they haul me off downtown. I'm sitting in the interrogation room for hours. They keep asking me, they want names of these guys, these people that are with me, and I'm like, no, they have no business, they don't need to know who they are, there's there's no scenario where I'm going to give you any names of anybody. You can, like, you have me, that's all you need. Now keep in mind, before this, I had done quite a bit of time, maybe, maybe 11 months for DUIs. Sounds kind of crazy for my first defense, but I wrecked a truck really bad and broke my neck. It, it was an ordeal. There was uh, three or four years there of depression and trying to figure out who I was. It was real fuck-all couple of years right around there. So at this point, I had only been out of jail from that stint for, I don't know, a couple months, not long. And here the fuck I am back in. I'm in holding, thinking how funny it's going to be. I'm going to be back in the pot asking dudes that I gave shirts to if I can have them back. And it's just, I have 
no idea what's going on. I don't know what they've told my mom. I have no clue. I don't find out until after I'm released because obviously everything gets dropped because I'm not lying. If everything I said was true, they had nothing on me and they had to let it go. But the kicker is that we don't realize is the moped in the back of the truck comes up stolen too. So what it looks like initially is that I got drunk, went and stole a truck, stopped off, found a moped, stole that thing, threw it in the back, and just had a heyday. And that's what they're telling my mother. That poor, poor woman. Five weeks go by. A month and a week. Might as well have been eight years, it felt like to me. I get a knock on my cell door, and they say, Abstin, you're out. And I never heard another word about that. I'm not an idiot. I didn't press any words on it. But still, what a fucking experience that was. Like many, many other things in my life, I I got lucky because of my work ethic and character. I took my management job right back up as soon as I got out of jail. So that is how I uh, officially had a Grand Theft Auto on my record for stealing my own vehicle. It never went on my record. I've made a lot of dumb choices in my life, but nothing grimy, no felonies or nothing like that. And I, I've never caused harm to anybody but my I can tell you about the time that I got promoted to culinary director at Burr Company down south. Hung over so bad that I couldn't blink and enough Vicodin in my system to kill an eighth grade classroom. Big time, you know, big organization. You don't just, what your resume states is not what's gonna get you the job. Company was a retirement home. They were really culinary driven. That was what they stated to separate them from others, but that they really focused on too. I come and do a trial run. They have dinner service. I've been directing a crew of about eight people that have never met me before. Had it not been for that little bit of fear of failure pushing me, I maybe otherwise would have ran my car into a semi on the way there. I was feeling pretty rough. I did a caprice salad, stuffed haddock, charred orange beets, a citrus glaze, Dutch's potatoes, and a bourbon bananas foster for dessert. Thinking the three people that were going to hire me was all I was serving for. About an hour before service, I realized that it's a full service. Everybody in the building needs to eat. I kick it into high gear and we go away. When you're commanding people that early on, you don't... I didn't have the time to find out what they knew and what they were capable of. That's They're more... They're there for grabbing things. I holler what I need, they grab it for me. It's just... There's no other way to get around it. Got everyone cooking, ovens rolling, pan searing, everything. It's all. It's that little meme with that puppy where the room's on fire and he's like, This is fine. That's about how I felt at the time. Running into the bathroom every few minutes to dry heave and try to get my shit together and put this meal out. scenarios. They have the memory care side, which is set up like a cafeteria, banquet style. They have nurses.
horses that are serving and then the live-in community is plated. Everything goes out to the best of my ability. The looks I'm getting from some of the nurses tell me that I look about as bad as I feel. I'm nervous and I'm thinking I might as well just start putting my knives away now. There is no chance in hell this company is going to hire me for the executive position I applied for, let alone a dishwasher. Lo and behold, one of their high-profile clients happens to be the talent scout for the Pittsburgh Steelers in like 1948. And this old man just raves and raves and raves. But I hear of all the good things he said. He's been high-profile guy for a long time and has never had an establishment with that kind of care put into a meal that he's had. I'm a sweaty mess. I sit down with the three people. It's the, the general manager of the establishment, the culinary coordinator that hires me on, and some other sweet woman that was way nicer leads me to believe she, she was some kind of human resources. The three of them tell me how impressed they were state of Florida they've yet to see a service go so smooth and that they had high hopes that if I continued to pull off something like that I would go pretty far in the company they tell me that they cannot offer me the executive position though well shit so I put my head down and head back to the kitchen to clean up my mess and pack my knives and make a plan for tomorrow done I go out to speak with them shake their hand thank them all for their time and they tell me they can't offer me the executive spot because they want me to be the culinary director I gag a little bit and try not to barf on all three of them and the big boss tells me he wasn't sure what to be more impressed with my ability to command a crew that I've never worked with or the fact that I could put a meal out like that hungover, and I about faint. He chuckles when we speak, and he says he looks forward to seeing what I can do when I'm not so under the weather. I'm telling you, this shit happens my whole life. That kitchen is where I really honed my skills for macaroons their little door greeting, like Doubletree does the warm cookies when you enter the door, theirs were macaroons. I hated it, but I got really good at them. I used to do private dinner parties down south on a pontoon boat. I'd rigged up a charcoal grill, a flat top, a fry daddy, a George Foreman, a microwave, a couple sinks to take people out on the ocean. It was one of my biggest flexes. Go out on the boat, catch our dinner. Turns out you can't just do that. I had fun, I made some money, but that got shut down pretty quick because I didn't do it the correct way at all. But I'll tell you, those people were some of the most, what's the word, I'm too stupid. Charitable, I guess. That's not the word my brain's digging for, but there's too much in there. We'll be here all night if I try to pull out one word. They used to give me a lot of money. A 
bridesmaids party. I did one of those one time, and let me tell you, check them wedding vows and make sure they're sincere, guys, because whole buddy, <laughs> I cooked in Colorado for a while. That was where I got my uh, skills sharpened at, like, steakhouse. Really getting, mastering the craft of cooking a steak in high volume. You want to talk about people being nitpicky and really having something to say, have someone pay $70 for a plate of food and make their steak wrong. You get real good at that real quick. You often hear stories, guys and women, later in life, that commit to the same old story fairy tale. All these years I fought and fought and after all this time and all this effort I finally got my recognition. I finally hit my big break. That won't be my story. My story is that I refuse to fail. Failure is not an option. You don't choose me over someone else. It's because I failed. Maybe my skill set's not desirable to you. My personality will be. Maybe my skill set blows everyone else out of the water, but my personality leaves some questions. I put myself down a lot. I have a pretty low self-image, but I'll tell you one thing about me. I've made my mind up to do it, it's happening. I'll die before it does. What would have happened if I would have applied this mindset to anything else? Who knows where I'd be? If I would have applied that to anything else, who knows where I would be? I always play tug of war with not wanting my career to be my identity. You know you've kind of mastered a skill set when your name gets brought up and that's what people talk about. It's easy to say all this now and look back and tell these stories and have a good time laughing about it. I also treaded some murky waters for a long time to get there. I don't take that lightly. I say that I'm lucky. It discredits a lot of hard work. Right time, right place, maybe. But these hands have also helped carry me there. I'm just one, one mindset. I have plenty of people that will bring on here that have stories to tell that I'm involved in that I've forgotten about. For as hard as my work ethic is, my coping mechanisms are not so well. I repress a lot. I had a lot of head trauma, too. I am real excited to bring some of the women that I know on here, too, so that you guys, as much as you hear me talk about how miserable I am to be around, that that's certainly not the case. It's just my outward image of myself like to say that I'm pretty charming. And a lot of trauma up in this big dumb brain of mine. Truly, that's what this is. My own ketamine therapy, if you will. So give me an opportunity to talk about a lot of stuff that I wouldn't necessarily talk about, I suppose. There's a video clip that I go to often and watch. It's um, a woman by the name of Nancy Silverton. She is a bad bitch, man the godmother when it comes to pastry. There's a clip of her making this peach tart for Julia Child. I watched the clip long before I knew the backstory and she feeds this piece to Julia Child. She starts to cry and tells her that it's literally a dessert worth crying over. And it's absolutely beautiful. A 
brought people to tears with plates of food before, but it's more so because they look at me and are in absolute terror of the fact that they just ingested something that came from Shrek. But that's besides the point. The backstory being that Nancy thought she had served this piece to Mrs. Child so hot that it scalded the roof of her mouth. And her moment of absolute terror moment that probably will carry her through the rest of her career. I hope with this that I reach a lot of people outside of the industry too. I don't want it to bore anybody because it's, it's got to be entertaining for everybody involved. Maybe I'll inspire somebody to get into the industry that never has. A lot of fun to be had. a good amount of misery that comes with it as well. Yin and yang, my friends, yin and yang. Maybe I'll touch on the emotional unavailability. You invest so much of your time into advancement that oftentimes when you come home, the social battery's on empty. I think I touched on that about being 100 miles an hour or dead neutral, nothing in between. <clears throat> It's not fair to your partner. Sometimes you'll get a good one that's strong-willed and doesn't take that to heart and understands. I've yet to find that one. Then you get on this teeter-totter where because they're emotionally neglected, their attitude changed and maybe you yourself are not putting in enough to keep them confident in it. So their attitude will absorb the negativity that you're putting out because of the attitude that they're putting out. A tango of an emotional warfare. You start off early, they'll be infatuated with your drive and your passion, and then that'll become your downfall. I feel guilty. But it's hard to love two things at once, to give that much of yourself into your... They see you exude passion into everything you do, but yet they don't receive any of that on their part. That's a pretty good recipe to wind up lonely. It fascinates me how much your mental status pilots your physical status. It's that honeymoon period everybody chases. Start off in a new kitchen, it's that way. You start off in a new relationship, it's that way. I don't know. I'm a better man at understanding my faults these days. I used to blame it on everything but myself. I'm better at understanding I'm the cause for a lot of these issues. You gotta pick your battles. Been in the right time in the right place in most of my life. Except for love. I love hard. I just fall into a routine and I've got to remind myself sometimes that the way I validate people is not often the way they want to be validated. I wish I was better at expressing emotion. 
wear my heart on my sleeve, I'm just too stupid to express that. I don't know if I come off as a stonewalled, cold face, emotionalist guy. That's how I feel I come off. It's like that's the anesthesia and I'm on the operating table and I don't know. I can feel every inch of the scalpel, I just can't move enough to express that to anyone. I don't know what coping mechanism that is, but that's why it's good to be around old friends. Not so much old guy friends, but old lady friends. They're always good at telling me how sweet I am despite how I feel. I wish I felt more. monologue I play in my head a lot is I kind of wish I f was sad. I wish I felt sad, at least. I want to feel something. Something other than pressure. Pressure is really the only thing that would give me to spark and move. That might be admirable in certain situations, but only being able to emotionally bond with someone under pressure is can't be good. On a lighter note, I don't know how far any of you dive into like food celebrities and whatnot, but if you ever need a good laugh, you got on demand or YouTube or something, look up, just watch this chick named Ree Drummond cook for a while. She's known as the pioneer woman. I like her style of cooking. It's like Southwest cowboy comfort. She does have some pretty cool food. It's like hyper-focused on like around her family and stuff, and she's always throwing people in that you've never met or heard of. Oh, today for lunch, we're gonna make this hash brown casserole. I came up with this recipe because old Vlad and Carol came down, and they've been a part of our family for many years. And then you'll never see who they are. She's got these ranch hands that work for her, and she always, like I understand the gesture, the kindness and stuff, but the way that she does it's kind of like, privileged white lady because she's like oh well today we're gonna cook salvador a home cooked dinner he's worked for us for 12 years and just kind of undermining a little bit we got a stuffed pepper recipe that i'm putting together this recipe has been in my family for 35 years carl and diana from down the street are gonna be here and my husband vlad and the kids just love them Right, Ree. I don't understand why any of that side story is possible. And then, like, in a 45-minute episode, you'll get a 15-segment, 15 15-minute 15 segment of her daughters out riding horses and shit. What in the fuck does this got to do with the stuffed peppers, Ree? I don't know. It just kind of seems to me that she's like a couple Prozac away from putting her husband in the chili. I've always been a little uneasy about that one. I think once you become okay with putting a line of spatulas in Walmart, I lose 
the integrity is gone for me at that point. The barefoot continista. I'm probably too stupid and said that wrong too, but I like her. But same shit. That'll be a 30-minute episode and 12 minutes is her talking to the guy she buys clams from. And you don't hear anything about the clams. It's like they went to high school together and she's going to throw a party with a bunch of random people that are half her age. I don't know. I'm not worried about the centerpiece with orange slices in it, okay? Get to the linguine. Fuck. That's why I dive so hard into Bourdain. I know that's kind of a stereotypical trope now, like he was the bad boy in the kitchen, but guys like me ate that shit up. He put it to perspective that it wasn't about putting flower petals with tweezers on a fucking dish. It was about the story behind the recipe and the people that created it for you. The experience. My body's not a temple, it's an amusement park. Enjoy the fucking ride. I got a lot to say about some people that got a million dollars in the bank, huh? Teach is their own. Wasn't meant to come negatively. Like I said, that pioneer woman, I like her food. I just think she's got a couple bodies under that ranch of hers, is all. Today I'm going to show you how to make cowboy coffee. <laughs> okay. That Hollywood ranch hand facade is bullshit. You may have one point been a real hard worker, but there's no way you're getting your hands dirty with that $3,500 hat on. When the fuck did they just start calling everything Kobe? Like A5 grade Wagyu, I understand the hype behind that. Those cows are treated better than I am. Somewhere out there in Japan, is a cow a third of my age that's lived a better life. I understand that. Wagyu hot dogs, fuck off. That's a tip of advice I have. If you're going to a restaurant and it's got a sporadic, chaotic menu, just, shut, just get a drink and leave. They have nachos, Alfredo, chili con Colorado, pizza, and chicken and waffles, shut that menu and leave. Your best bet's to go to a place that's got five things on the menu done precisely. America sucks when it comes to food. We're all stupid. I worked with a line cook one time from India that spoke four languages. Four. Beautifully. Latin. It's a dead language. Why do you even know that and could speak it more articulately than I can speak English? Curry I don't fuck with. I'll eat the hell out of it, but I will tell you I will make anything. People ask me what I can make everything. I won't make curry. A poorly executed curry from a mom-and-pop Indian diner would be better than the best curry I could make. 
plain and simple, it's not in my blood. It's a texture thing for me, too. I'm not into... I don't know. Butter chicken. Fuck, that's good. Oysters. Not like saltwater, in-a-shell, seafood-type oyster. Right on the crest of the jawbone, where the upper and lower jaw meet, the bottom jawbone, there's a little sliver of meat inside there they call the oyster. I don't give a shit what kind of animal it is. That's to die for. Big-ass fish have them. I wonder if a chicken, that'd be a little piece of meat, little chicken jaw oyster. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Down south, they call them grouper scallops. And it's that little piece of oyster meat right out of the jawbone of the grouper. You get onto those coastal regions like that, you can make shrimp. I'd get these Key West shrimp, they're real bright and pink, beautiful looking things. And they'll eat them, they're savages. You don't even have to gut them or clean them. They'll eat those things as, as is. And it is a good contrast, shell on when you cook them properly. They look really nice on a plate. I tried to pull some shit like that in Ohio one time, and those people thought that I was insane. Not for them. Midwest, they don't want their food looking back at them. I got a weird contrast. Most of my life was 50% Florida, 50% Indiana. Even as a child, I went back and forth all the time. So I got a good soft spot for meat and potatoes. I also think a skin-on, head-on, full-roasted snapper is to die for. You can't pull that shit in Ohio. One of the first times I ever put together a steak and lobster dinner and it sold... It sold like dog shit. The next night I did Salisbury steak and couldn't keep up. Just amazing how closed-minded we are in the Midwest when it comes to food. Some of those blue-collar farmers would starve to death if they found themselves in Singapore. I think we'll end it there for this episode. I try to do these solo episodes as filler in between ones that I have guests with. Trying to make them palatable for your ears is atrocious. It's being made to me pretty obvious, I'm going to have to get some kind of software and stop doing this with my phone. Anyway, this one may seem a little jumpy, not quite as much. Not so much chaos going on. Listening back on it, it's a good representation of how thoughts come in my brain. We'll leave it at that. If it's not coming from a place of love, it's not coming from the right place. Success, which you want to speak about, is born out of arrogance. People thinking they're good. But greatness comes from humility.